from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So open up your Bibles or grab the Pew Bible in front of you because we want to be in the Word. Amen? So Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, the story that we just heard read is a parable, or at least most people believe it's a parable. And a parable is a story. It's a narrative device that usually has one main point. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to go deep into that parable to find what is the main point that Jesus had for us. Now, I'm going to start out with what I always like to do on this day every year, and I'm going to say, he is risen indeed, and you respond. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we have a pagan church. Like, good, I get to share Christ with a bunch of pagans. How much better can it be? So he is risen. He is risen. I tell you, there's something that just pulls your heart into that, that just pulls your mind into that. I should just do that like 50 times and then say amen and let you go home, right? I can't believe that. This is definitely a pagan church. All right. Well, we're going to go through the story anyways. And as we go through this story, and as the story begins, I want you to look at chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man, we meet him, and his wealth is not described in net worth. Right now, all over the internet is Elon Musk's net worth. Well, that does not, that's not what the Bible does. Here's how it describes how wealthy you are. Read on. He was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. So now listen, in that culture... They ate meat on average once a week. This man ate meat every day. He feasted sumptuously every single day, banquet style. Now, remember that. That's going to play into this story. 
But then he's also clothed in purple. What does that mean? And why is that a special? Why is that special? A lot of you are clothed in purple today. Well, 200 miles north of Jerusalem was the city of Tyre. It was a seacoast town. And along the rocky crags of that seacoast were snails and, and shellfish. And they would capture those snails and they would squeeze out of the abdomens of those snails a purple dye. And they would take yarn or thread and they would dip it into that dye and it would make the purple cloth. That was an incredibly wealthy gift to receive purple clothing. In fact, you needed to be a king or you needed to be extremely wealthy. But he also wore fine linen. Now you're looking at this because today you and I, you know, this doesn't really mean much to us, but fine linen, well, I could tell you this, Under Armour had nothing on fine linen. It was made from the flax plant, grew in about three months and you would take it, and there was an outer shell of it, and they would beat it, and they would pull it through a series of nails. You can actually go to Ireland, and they will show you there's museums that you could go into where they still do this. The more they brush it, usually the finer the filament is, and they, they gather those into thread, and they make that into cloth. It is absolutely perfect clothing for hot, dry Mediterranean climates. They would wear it underneath your cloak, underneath your robe. That would be against your skin. If you had any flax left over or the stuff that wasn't the premium grade, they made into burlap sacks. Now listen, or clothes for the poor. And now we meet our second person. We meet a poor man. His name is Lazarus. And he was at the rich man's gate. And there he was laid by his friends or his family. But it says that the rich man's gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. You know what that means, right? Did you ever catch that? This means he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk there. He was carried there. He was helped there. He's a poor man. What's he doing? He's begging because the ancient world didn't give out welfare checks. There weren't jobs for the disabled. The life of the disabled was one thing, begging. And you always begged at a gate that was the highest pedestrian traffic. And you hoped that you could get the mercy of someone else. But this rich man had no mercy for Lazarus. All he wanted were the scraps. Look at the Bible. Look at the story. He wanted scraps from the rich man's meals, but the dog got them instead. You know how that works? Listen, when you eat today your Easter meal, and your parents, if you're a child, your parents are going to put a napkin in your hands, maybe even in your lap, maybe tuck it into your shirt. That's either going to be a cloth napkin or a paper napkin. They did not have napkins in the ancient world. They didn't use clothes. It was so much difficulty in cleaning them. They didn't wipe their face or their, their hands with napkins. Here's what they did. They took chunks of bread and they would wipe their face and then they would wipe their fingers and then they would throw the chunks of bread on the floor and the dogs would eat them. So here is Lazarus. He is lame. He is poor. He's at the gate of a rich man. He's begging. The man's giving chunks of bread to the dogs and all the dogs do for Lazarus, look what it says, they lick his wounds, likely in his legs. He's got infections everywhere. This is a very bleak picture 
of human suffering. And soon he died. And look what it says. Lazarus was carried by the angels to Father Abraham. He was taken to paradise. And then not long after, the rich man died. And in that hot climate, they always buried you the same day you died. So I can guarantee you that this rich man had a lavish funeral. And with everybody in the town in attendance, nobody's at the funeral of Lazarus except the angels. And they take him to paradise to be with Father Abraham. Now the story shifts. Now, you remember, this is a narrative device. It's a parable. It's not really giving actual facts and details. It's teaching a lesson. We've got to find that lesson. The story shifts to life after death. And now the rich man is in Hades. He is in torment. He is suffering. He's in anguish. And he can see across a deep chasm Lazarus, that same beggar at his gate that he would give no mercy to, is in or by the side of Father Abraham. Now, it's not until you understand one word that I'm going to define you that this story can take on such beauty. You see, the word side does not mean your left or your right side. It's actually a word in the Greek for your chest. So now we've got the picture of Lazarus leaning into the chest of Father Abraham. Now what do you do with that? What does that actually mean? And what that actually means is beautiful, and it's actually an absolute joy to explain it to you. You see, the Jewish people, when they celebrated a feast, when they ate a, an important meal, they did not eat at a high table like you and I do, with, ta- with chairs that they pull up. No, they ate at low coffee tables. And what they would do is they would put around those tables all kinds of cushions and pillows. This is how that woman of the city was able to come in when Jesus was at a, fe- at a feast and, t- and her tears went all over his feet and she cleaned his feet with her hair. The reason is that if you're at one of these feasts, you're lying down always on your left side. Your head is near the table. Your body is angled away. And so is everybody around the table. And the person to the right of you was always the one that you most loved, the one that was most treasured, the one that you most wanted to be there. And now we've got this picture that what the rich man sees across this chasm is this beggar, Lazarus, lying on his side at a feast, celebrating and leaning back into the chest of Father Abraham. Now you may wonder, Tim, how are you getting that? Well, let me take you to Thursday night, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. They're in the upper room, and there they are very similarly arrayed around these low tables, lying on these cushions. And Peter just heard Jesus say something about a betrayer, so he motions and he whispers to John, who was lying down to the right of Jesus, find out who the betrayer is. And John leans back into the chest of Jesus and asks, See, this is how they celebrated feasts for the Jews in the ancient days. So we've got this scene. We've got the rich man. 
He's in conscious, eternal anguish, and it appears that he's the same way there that he was on earth, but even worse. How do you know that? Look what he says in verse 25. Child, remember that it, you, he, uh, let me back up just a little bit. He yells across that chasm and he yells for Father Abraham. Would you have Lazarus? He knew him by name, yet he never gave him mercy. Would you have Lazarus dip his finger in the water and come over here and put it in my tongue? I am in agony. And Abraham answers in verse 25, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. The man is the same as he was on earth, but worse. He's demanding that Lazarus serves him. He has no dignity in him. He gives him so no worth. He just views him as a servant. You know, it's startling to hear this. I know it is for some. You know that Jesus talked more about hell than all of the biblical writers combined. Jesus, the Son of God, the loving Son of God, talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible, more than all of them put together. But he also talked about heaven more than any and all of the biblical writers put together. And maybe it's right what C.S. Lewis, that romantic theologian who loved to write poetry, loved to write narrative books. He's called a romantic writer. He rightly said one time, I think, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. You know what he meant by that? He meant that if you are in hell and the only way out was through loving and worshiping God, you will choose eternity in anguish. Well, how do you know that? Not once does a rich man ask, Father Abraham, would you get me out of this place? He just asked first that Lazarus would serve him. He became a beggar, pleading for, the, for Abraham to then send Lazarus. If you're not going to send him over to me, send him to warn my five brothers. And Abraham answered that his brothers already have Moses and the prophets. That means that they already have the, the entire Hebrew scriptures. They already have the Old Testament. It's right there. This, this warning to repent is all through the Bible. But they have to hear it. You know what that means, right? You have to believe it. That's what the word here means. You have to read, and you have to know, and you have to be certain. You have to be convinced, and you have to believe. And Abraham's saying they've already got everything they need to repent. But the man answered, the rich man says, that won't be enough. Like me, my brothers needed proof. And he says in verse 30, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And it brings us to the reason why Jesus told this story. You see, the rich man is any one of us who is full of self-sufficiency, who believes that we are moral enough for God to save, that we're good people, so good that we cannot see our own need of salvation. You see, the more moral self-sufficiency you have, the more convinced you are of your own goodness, the less you can understand and see and believe the gospel. 
But friends, I've got to tell you, no one goes into heaven confident in their own goodness. It's impossible. Have you ever noticed, I've done this, I'm sure perhaps you have as well. Have you ever noticed that we tend to compare ourselves to people who are worse than us morally? Come on, you don't ever compare yourself to someone better morally. If you're going to feel good about yourself, you've got to find somebody that's done things that you would never do, that's morally inferior to you, that you are superior to them. And when you do that, what it does is it convinces you. It's a placebo, it's false, it's not correct, but it convinces you that I think I'm a pretty good person, that God must be pleased with me. You see, people that don't want to, got to read the Bible, here's what I've noticed in almost three decades of pastoral ministry. When they don't want to read the Bible, there's often an underlying reason. I've been able to really discern this over a lot of years. Here's the underlying reason. Let me tell you what happens when you read the Bible believing it. It is a mirror. Now think of it, because I bet every one of us looked in a mirror before we came here this morning. It's a mirror. And it points towards God. It reflects God's perfection, his holiness, his goodness, his infinite love. And it would be great, right, if the Bible just stayed that way and just reflecting God. We'd all want to read it. We'd all want to be in it. It would be exciting. But the Bible does something that absolutely knocks us up alongside the heads of our souls. Here's, here's what the mirror does. All of a sudden, the mirror begins to swivel and tilt until it looks right back at you and it shows you what you look like inside. It shows you that you're a sinner. It shows you that you're not nearly as good morally as you thought you were. And in comparison to God, you're in a lot of trouble. And what's going to clean you up? What's going to make you morally clean? You see, the rich man thought so little of the word of God, he would not believe it, that it would not lead him to repentance. But it must, because people can only get into heaven one way. And I'm going to read it to you from the words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If someone was going to be in heaven, it must be when they see their condition, they see themselves morally, and it bankrupts their soul. And they cling, and they cry, and they plead like a beggar, God, save me. See, if the rich man shows us the person who is confident in his own morality, needing nothing from God, then Lazarus shows us the person who has come to the end of his rope, begging for rescue from his desperate situation. To be in God's kingdom, you've got to come to terms with the fact that you are helpless. You are a lame beggar. You are destitute. You are in a desperate moral condition. Have you gotten to that place? In my experiences, a lot of people haven't, and you cannot be in heaven. You see, every person in this sanctuary and every person watching online, you are either the rich man or you are Lazarus. There is not a third option. 
It's what I want to ask you, and I'm almost getting to the end of this message. I want to ask you, can you do something for me right now? Everybody look at me. This is so utterly important. So far, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. You are either the rich man, self-sufficient in your moral goodness, you really don't need Jesus, or you're Lazarus. You are helpless. You cannot fix your situation. You cannot clean your heart up. You are in a desperate situation. Which one are you? Can you answer that? Listen, I'm not even going to ask you to stand. I'm not doing an altar call. You don't need to raise your hand. All I'm asking you to do is be honest with God. Are you the rich man or Lazarus? Now, let me tell you, as I get closer to ending, the best part of this story. You see, Lazarus really points to the storyteller himself, Jesus. And let me explain. You see, Jesus left heaven. Jesus came to us in poverty. Jesus became the lowest of servants. Jesus was despised by the elite. The rich man asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house with a warning to repent. But listen, the heavenly father sent Jesus to his house, Israel, warning them to repent. The rich man wanted someone to be resurrected so that his brothers would listen. The heavenly father resurrected his son from the dead, but still the religious would not listen. You see, Jesus is all through this story. But why would the king of glory, why would the creator of the universe, why would the God of love become a poor servant? Why would the eternal one choose to die? Why would the one that created the earth allow his body to be buried in the earth? Well, there's no religion that teaches this. Do you not know that? There's no religion that teaches that their God took the form of a servant and died for their people. The only one that teaches it is Christianity. It is utterly unique. And it's the only one that answers why Jesus did this. And the answer, friends, is love. Love, a love for you, a love for me, a love that was willing to become the poorest of poor, a love that was willing to serve and yet be rejected and despised, a love that was willing to save anyone who would come to him, but he was crucified, a love that was willing to take the punishment for the sins that we commit, the love that was willing to pay the ultimate price to save anyone that would turn to him in faith. Friends, you're either a rich man or a Lazarus, and I'm going to tell you how to know the difference. Have you been convinced that this is true? Because if you don't believe this is true, what we are celebrating today, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, will mean absolutely nothing to you. But if you believe this is true, friends, this is the greatest day of our calendar year. This was the day we celebrate that Jesus broke the power of death, that Jesus overcame the grave, that Jesus will save you from your sins. Paul said, if the resurrection never happened, you're still in your sin. Your faith is futile. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave means that God is now forgiving sins through the blood of Jesus. He was crucified on Friday. He rose on Sunday and saint after saint saint is going in to paradise and to heaven because of what 
Jesus did because they're convinced. I'm going to end in about one minute. I told you I was not going to do an altar call. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not. But I am going to ask you to be honest, and I am going to ask you to think, and I am going to ask you to answer the question. And it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. I had a preteen after the first service come up to me and said, you know, I think, I think I'm a rich man. I don't think I'm a Lazarus. Do you know what the gospel was doing? The gospel was penetrating that little boy's heart and pulling him to salvation. It's the Spirit of God doing that to you right now. You're either the rich man or you're Lazarus. You're either self-sufficient in your moral goodness or you give up on it and you plead the blood of Christ over your soul. How do you become a Lazarus? How do you get saved? Father, I'm a sinner. I'm lame. I can't fix my situation. I am desperate. Even if you just give me the scraps of salvation, I'll take it. And in that moment, you will be saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And one day, you will be with God, and you will celebrate at a feast forever. That's the future of every one of us Lazaruses. The future of the rich men is anguish and conscious torment forever. And I care enough about you to warn you, repent. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the power of this parable. Lord, it's amazing. Jesus told this. It's a narrative device. He was giving a story not so much for factual details as much as for one main lesson. And that main lesson is you are either the rich man or you're, a, you're Lazarus. And Lord, that same question is being asked of every person here, every person online that is watching this. Am I the rich man or am I that lame, poor beggar? Father, if we are the rich and we are confident in our own moral goodness, Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you let the mirror of God's word open our eyes so that we can be convinced that the word of God is true? And may it show us just exactly why you died on that cross, why you were buried in that tomb, and why our hope is that you came out of that grave. Because we have life, and we will dwell with you forever. Lord, take every rich man here and make them a poor man. And take every poor man here and show them their future and let them gain hope. In Jesus' name, amen.